Righty-o, g'day ladies and gents, welcome back to another episode of Life of Mine. Matty Michael here to deliver you the go-to, the only mining podcast you need to worry about. Righto, this yarn today, yesterday, whenever you're listening to it, Managing Director of Critical Resources, ASX Ticker, CRR, Alex Biggs. Now, this chat is absolutely bloody sensational. Cracking, cracking fella. Born south of London, working class town, wasn't destined for much, were his exact words in the interview, but wanted to get out and do something in another part of the world. Avid boxer growing up, still loves a bloody good boxing analogy to explain anything and everything. He came over to Australia in the early 2000s, uh, mechanical engineer, went to the WA School of Mines in 2005 to study mining engineering. That was his ticket into the Aussie mining industry, but... In 2009, he was diagnosed with a brain tumour. The docs didn't know if he was going to survive or not. Was looking like the latter at one stage. But even facing death, Bigsy thought he'd still won in life after coming to Australia. So you can hear all about that and how he somehow bloody survived this. And plenty more about Bigsy in the first half of the yarn. And then we chat some CRR. Exciting times. The Halls Creek project near Armadale in New South Wales, close to the hometown of Inverell. That's pull of bloody copper, lead, zinc and silver flat stick through the core that's coming out. Very interesting project. And Critical also acquired the Mavis Lake Lithium project in Ontario at the end of 2021. Spodgermine, Spodgermine and more bloody Spodgermine. They're on fire over there at the moment. You're going to love this yarn. Sit back and enjoy my chat with... The geezer himself, Alex Biggs, bloody legend. Let's get into it. Check in the portal. Copy, ship boss. I got a radio check. Yeah, radio's working fine. Yeah, copy all personnel. Yeah, copy, mate. The chair in the vet bag. Yeah, stitch her up there. Thanks, mate. Yeah, righto, copy that. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers to the water. I'll do a water and a... Whatever that is, lemon, lime and bitters. How good is the view, Bigsy? Well, I don't know, I'm looking the other way, but yeah. if we turn around, pretty good. It is good. Lovely day I've here in Perth. I've actually, uh, I've been bloody excited for this. Tell me why. You're an interesting cat. Yeah, I've, oh, uh, God. I've caught up for a couple of um, Bigsy sessions already, I won't lie. won't lie to the punters out there. You were just seeing if I, I was appropriate for the podcast. Oh, right? it's... Uh, very much so. Oh, this is the guy. This is the guy that will take me to stardom. You're building me up. Oh. If I don't deliver, you bet. Well, you've we're got both in now. trouble. The powers of editing, I guess. <laughs> but, um, that is true. we got three cameras here. Yeah. It's all going. Amazing if you could see what's in front of us. It's uh, better behind us, trust me. Mm, it is, mate. Welcome. Welcome to Life <laughs> Thank of Mine. Thank you. It's been a bit time in the making with COVID, overseas travels, sure. life of an MD. Very privileged that you fitted me in, mate. Well, I'm privileged too. I'm a big fan. I've watched your journey. It's um, it's fantastic. Doing good things for the mining industry. So, I'm really pleased to be here. I'm bringing the bigsy to the bigsy to the mining industry. To the People masses. People don't know you. The masses. What are we going to uncover here? Oh, uh, well, although we do it in two bits, I reckon oh, we man. do a bit of a. You could say. Uh, I don't want to talk about resources for half of it. I want to talk about Bigsy for half of it. Like, because, you know, you're pretty pretty active on the podcast scene with promoting critical resources, the sure. resources. I want to promote, promote the the Bigsy in the CRR, not the R in the CRR. I've got it. Oh, but it's just because uh, you, you've alluded to a few life facts and everything about yourself. I thought we'd uncover a few today. Why don't you start an interesting one? Uh, well, you're not from Australia. You're a bit of a geezer, you'd say. Um, the expression geezer is often, um, often used, but misconstrued, you know, misconstrued perhaps, <laughs> but no, I did grow up uh, to the Southeast of London. So, um, hence the accent. I was born in a place called Gravesend. Um, God, there is a Gravesend about 10 minutes out of town in Inverell, which is an hour and a half from Armadale, which is the, is that true? Uh, which there is a town called Gravesend. Well, you know why it's called Gravesend? Was that? Because when they had the Black Death in London, they buried the bodies outside of London, right? Yeah. And you can't dig anywhere. And even still today, like you're not allowed to dig on common ground, right? 
So um, where the grave stopped, they said, okay, that's the end of the graves, hence Gravesend. There you go. Also, Princess Pocahontas is buried there as well. <laughs> I wonder if that's a okay. I'll have to do some history because I thought it was fate. This this meeting because my hometown, my first job was actually at Hillgrave, which is just up the road from the uh, Halls Peak. Halls Peak project. Golden Antimony. Yep, Golden Antimony. When was you over there? Oh, two thousand and nine. Mm. When Straits Resources had it. When you were still studying. Yeah, it was my yeah year of vac works. Yeah, right? yeah. And then I saw that's what this. As I said, everything's for a meaning. Everything has a meaning. The podcast. And I think turning up with you and bloody critical discovering uh massive amounts of lead zinc over in the at hall's peak just outside of and some copper Armada, copper and silver you'd say all critical resources are coming out of those core those pieces of core we'll get into so. that we'll talk about that but it's fate and i um this is why this had to happen bringing graves end to graves end graves end the fate so, continues so that's where it all started back in the uk you know and uh I guess growing up, it was, you know, I didn't grow up in this world that we see today, the corporate world and, you know, grew up fairly working class. And, you know, it was, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I never had an understanding and I didn't, I'll, this is probably embarrassing, but I didn't even know what university was till I was there. Yeah. So you weren't destined for a, a West Perth, Perth City corporate life in any sense. I probably wasn't destined for any city corporate <laughs> life. <laughs> You know, I, I genuinely didn't know what I wanted to do. And I did work hard at school. Um, I tried. And, uh, you know, I thought, I can't go the other way, you know, like I saw a lot of people doing, like, where I'm from. So I did stick at that and, you know, fortuitously sort of fell into engineering and um, started studying mechanical engineering and, you know, was working for a company. So, you know, there was a lot of, along my journey, I've met a lot of really good people and they've helped me. And I think now I'll try and do the same. I meet people, you try and give people advice, you know, whether that's, you know, mentoring younger people, even people at uh, your level or older, we can all help each other out, right? we just got to be open. So, you know, I think that's the one thing that I've learned in my life. It's important to do that. I try and do that with the team here. Mm -hmm. And I think when you look at our team as a group of people, you know, everyone's happy, everyone works hard, everyone enjoys it. Their intention towards the business is good. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, that's one thing that my life life experience and life journey has taught me, you know. Um, and then I lobbed up in Australia in 2002. That'll accept anyone nowadays. As I... Uh, engineering graduate or I was going to say a I was going to say a legal immigrant but uh, <laughs> before they were turning away boats and everything correct um, I swam to shore um, <laughs> you would have got uh, um, been instantly sunburnt being the would have experienced the Australian correct. UV correct. rays in uh, south of London no there weren't so many of them but yeah no I did come in 02 and you know that was a start and um, started working in engineering and then um, somebody suggested why don't you go to uh Study mining engineering. I so was you working. were a mechanical engineer when you got here? Was a mechanical engineer, yeah. yeah. So I was doing some work there, doing some other stuff. And again, didn't really know, didn't necessarily feel settled and comfortable. Mm -hmm. um, and some I was working up at, um, where is it, Camelco up at Weeper, right? Mm -hmm. So I was working up there and uh, um, somebody said to me, oh, you should like go and study like mining engineering. I don't even know where that conversation started. I mean, maybe I showed some interest, but... Um, I mean, it's hardly mining, is it? Bauxite mining. So, you know, that's how little I knew. So I said, oh, yeah, um, probably not going to happen. Why am I going to go back to uni? And um, um, I said, where do I do it? They said, Kalgoorlie. And I went, oh, really? Now, I knew a bloke in London. <laughs> he was a mate of a mate of mine. His name was Longhead Pete. <laughs> he was from South Australia, right? And um, he lived in London. He lived in a caravan. In the back of somebody's well, of um, house, right? Live in a he did. He was a sheep farmer, and um, he'd worked in Kalgoorlie. So he was a bit older than us when we were probably like 18, 19. He was probably like 25, 26, something like that. So he told us all these stories about mining and about Kalgoorlie. And there was a like a lads mag back in the 90s called Loaded, okay? And I remember they did an eight-page um, like piece on Kalgoorlie, what it was like. So I always remembered that. So if someone said Kalgoorlie, I was like, that sounds fun. I'm all over that. We'll have a bit of that. So um, I ended up going to the School of Mines in 05 um, to study uh, mining engineering and finished in 08. But um, 
Uh, but but why? What made you do the change? Was it the the way they explained? Oh, you can earn shitloads of money, or what? What drew you to mining? Because a lot of people that don't know that get into mining, I know I knew nothing about mining when I went to study mining engineering. It because it, it's a very yeah, sometimes a very niche, hidden away industry to some people. Considering it accounts for like such a a, a huge amount of our GDP, and you look at the number of people that are actually employed, mm. and you look at the number of professional people, it's minuscule, right? I mean, it's a real sort of elite specialist sport. So, you know, I think I did understand that at the time. I'd also done some research on the School of Mines and thought, oh, this place is pretty good, you know. It's like it's got a lot of um, kudos, a lot of history, um, which, to be honest, I found was lacking in Australia when I first moved here. And I thought, that's an institution, right? That's something you can sort of get onto. So I liked that idea and I thought to myself, let's go and have a go. And my girlfriend at the time, she was a nurse, so she could work at the hospital. It was all pretty easy. So it all lined up. So it was the best thing I did. Yeah. Best thing I did. Now, when, I guess back to your, your, your British career oh. prior to that, growing up, growing up in England. Uh, I mean, what was it like, I guess, when you're studying mining engineering and waking up way to here and reflecting back on, <clears throat> as you said, where you come from or the, your exact words for what you weren't destined for much in a working class area of uh, growing up in England? How do, you, how do you look back at that whole journey? I'm sure you'd be a bit proud of yourself, wouldn't you? Why? Why would you say you weren't destined for much? Is that? Is that? Is was that just the norm? I don't know. I think there? when you look at the you look at the British system, you look at the class system, right? And you know, if you're from a certain place and you speak a certain way, you're sort of constricted. And you know, people don't tend to move around in England like they do in Australia. It's normal to you know find someone in Perth who's from Sydney, or from somewhere else in Australia, or vice versa, or you know. We're a lot more used to that in Australia. In the UK, you tend to grow up where you're born, within five miles, ten miles. So, you know, I very saw that. Clicky, like very clicky. It's clicky, you know, and I can remember at eight years old thinking, you know, I just, I just want to see more. I just want to sort of go and go and see like the oh, world. Oh, that young. Yeah, yeah. And, and see more and just experience more stuff. So when I look back now, um, it's just different. It's like a different life. It's like it didn't happen. Like you're being reborn. Yeah, like Jesus. Maybe. Oh, it's so many similarities. <laughs> Big Jesus. It's mainly the hair, eh? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> he was bald, didn't you know that? Oh, was he? Yeah, didn't have long hair. What, did, what was he wearing a wig most of the time? Was that? Yeah, most of the time. Oh, there you go. But uh, no, it does, it, it does feel like that. It does feel like that reborn. It feels like a separate life, you know, but... Yeah. What I always say is like sometimes you have struggle in your life and I've had other struggles in my life and, you know, like health issues and I had my brain tumour in 09 and all that, you know. I'm not here in spite of those things, okay? I'm here because of them. Mm. It's the experiences of all that stuff that's helped me um, overcome things and, you know, understand what I really want to do, understand what I really want, you know, and I appreciate it, I respect it. So I look back on the past and I look at England and I go, you know, it was good. It served a purpose in a way because it made me resilient. It made me stoic. It made me want more. It pushed me, right? But it's also kept me pretty humble. Well, I'll say when you haven't been born with a silver spoon up your ass. Um, or mouth. You, you, yeah, or where, wherever <laughs> they can jam the bloody thing. Um, yeah, does, it put, does that put you in good stead? <laughs> in a way, it's funny when you say that, but does that put you in good stead now when you're, you know, running a public company and, as you said, keeping yourself humble, res the respect you show to everyone? Because you're a very respectful person. You give Thank a, you. It appears that you give everyone the, the big amounts of time in your very busy day. No, and I think it's about gratitude. You know, I've got a lot of gratitude. Like every day when I do my working out in the morning, I do my gratitude. I say out loud the things I'm grateful for. And some of those things are negative things. Because it, it it changes your mindset. Do they change each day, or they, no, I the add to them? Yeah, yeah, some drop off. Some, you know, there's probably like you know five or six of different things that I'm grateful for. Yeah. Um, you know, and that does change and evolve. But often the negative things are the best things. So it's not saying I'm grateful for, um, you know, uh, I don't know, having a house to live in. That's great, right? Mm. I'm grateful that this person treated me this way, badly, for example. Because it teaches you to be stoic. It teaches you to overcome it as opposed to thinking of it in a negative way. I oh, know this person treated me like shit, you know, blah, blah, you know. It changes your mindset. So that's how I've always tried to think 
um, and there's been a few struggles and turmoils in life, but um, I've always tried to think that way and I've always tried to um, give people the time of day. And, you know, I like to think with the team here, you know, people can come and talk to me about anything, doors open, um, you know, take people out for lunch and have a few beers sometimes after work. It's important, you know, to build that team, but it only works if it's from somewhere genuine. And when I say genuine, it means you don't want anything back for it. Yeah. You know, that's what it's about. And, you know, you talk about shareholders, you know, engage with shareholders. One question I never ask anybody is how many shares do you own? It's irrelevant. If you're talking to someone, it don't matter whether you own one or a million or 10 million or 100 million. Everybody's got an interest, right? And you know my numbers all out over Twitter and everywhere. You know, a lot of people call me, contact me, and I always try and engage with our shareholders. And I think that doing that on an honest level, um, people see it, you know. Um, in the company, we've done what we said we were going to do. Um, I like to think we've done it okay. Um, it can always be better, of course. But, you know, I think if you demonstrate that and you let people know that and you show people that journey, bring them along for it, and you're willing to talk about it, and sometimes have the harder conversations, I think that's the way to be. Mm. Like, it's not, about, it's not about perfection. It's about excellence. What, what hardships? You mentioned hardships in your life. Oh. Young age, old age. You mentioned a brain tumour. I'll says you don't have to talk about any or any all of them or any of them, but um, I assume the way you speak about it and the way you do mention they've shaped the man and the MD that you are today. I think it's just more the person. I mean, the MD. I mean, this is my first MD job. Um, I don't want to jinx it and go, it's going okay. It's um, the company's gone well the last twelve months, of course, but you know, I think it's. Um, I don't really see it that way. Um, it's me as a person that allows me to do that, right? This ain't rocket science. We're not building like a spaceship and going to Mars. Well, next couple of weeks. Could we're, be. We're starting that. Um, bit, of a scoop, bit of a scoop for you. Yeah, yeah. Um, non-public information. Non yeah, that's right. Um, Imagine if the share that's price a, runs that's, on that. That's the sort of shit you, um, you'll hear on Life of Mine. That's the sort of shit, Inside you, go, info. That's the sort of shit you go to prison for. Yeah. <laughs> We're not we're building a spaceship and going you, to Mars. Now you, you can't build a spaceship now. That's because it's a joke. Because yeah, but we could fly literally to, put the um, restricted yourself from doing it. So we could fly to somewhere else other than Mars. Yeah, oh, there you go. In a non-spaceship. No, no, we're not building a spaceship. But uh, yeah, look, um, I think you know, in '09, I I had I was overseas for a bit, and I came back to Australia and. Um, I did have a brain tumour then, and you know there was a period of time where I thought maybe, thought that might be that, but uh, were they were you told that that might be that, or they were unsure, yeah, and right. um, you know I was under under like observation and care for a good few years. I mean, really, I've only just stopped going to see my specialist last year. So what's that? Nine to what's that? Twenty twenty one. 12 years right so 11 12 years so you know but it's the tumor actually disappeared in 2014 don't ask me why it just, it just disappeared disappeared no cable no no nothing because it was it in an area that was un surgery not it's like not on the ventricles surgery. here so they could do a little bit of surgery and biopsy but if they wanted to do the full surgery they'd have to take off your back of your head off which uh, they said well, i don't want to do that yeah. so they're just you know, regular monitoring, six-month MRI scans, all this stuff. And that, like, living over you, you know. Literally. Going, literally going, well, maybe this is it. What happens if I go back for this scan? What happens if they tell me this? What happens if I'm going to be dead? What happens if I'm dying? What happens if I already am dead? Those were That was something that I lived with for quite a few years, right? And, um, you know, um, it taught me. It just taught me like to sort of be present in the moment and to live in the moment and be grateful because we ain't all going on forever. Because we're all going to have this thought at some point in our life, right? Whether it be today, tomorrow, or 30 or 40 or 50 years' time, it will happen, right? Um, it taught me not to be scared of it. It taught me to um, look back on my life and sort of appreciate even the good and the bad. That's where the gratitude comes from, to understand, um, you know, even bad things in your life you can be grateful for. Um and, you know, it allowed me to sort of become quite stoic in the way I do things and look at things and also the way I engage with people. You know, what if you make somebody's day bad? What if you upset somebody? What if they die today, tomorrow, knowing that? Don't be that way. Try and be, you know, 
decent and you know try and try and sort of encourage people the right way and be humble and you know that's what it sort of taught me so and that's a lesson i'm still learning now well uh, i this taught you this this is i assume a lot of this become come at the end of that journey but the start of that journey how mentally dark does it get when you're contemplating the end of end of your life possibly or unknown i still thought i'd won right that's how I looked at life. I still believed I'd won. Yeah, right. I still looked at myself and was like, you know, some of the stuff that, uh, that you know, occurred with me growing up and I won't go into detail, but, you know, certain things. I'm pleased that, you know, I ended up in Australia and, you know, I, uh, I developed like a, a new life completely, you know, built the way I wanted to build it. Um, so I still felt I won. So I thought even if this is the end, it's still good. So yeah, obviously there's a bit of panic, there's a bit of stress, but you know when you understand your own mortality, um, I think it's uh, I think it's something very powerful, and most people never get the opportunity to do it because it only happens it, once. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah. you wouldn't want it to happen sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> nah. So can you can you put your finger on why the fuck you got a brain tumor when you were young? Probably. Um, I mean, just is it just pure and but and the fact that it just goes away by itself? Like God, you you can't help getting religious or spiritual about this, can you? When you when you look at that side of things, but it's. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, a lot of boxing and stuff growing up, and um, all that. So like it's, that could have like physical you know, trauma could have an effect. And on. boxing, like up until I had that right into my late twenties, early thirties, so I'm still boxing, still fighting, so. Um, yeah, a lot of that, um, martial arts, that sort of stuff. So, I mean, let's be honest, it doesn't help. I mean, when they asked me these questions, the doctor said, have you done any of these things? I went, yeah, I've done that, 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 and that. They weren't as interested afterwards. And you get the, oh. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah. But, um, no, I shouldn't say that. The doctors were great, actually. But, uh, yeah, so, you know, maybe it was that, maybe it wasn't. I don't know. So, um, but, yeah, it certainly taught me a lot. So it wasn't a bad thing. It was a very positive thing. What about boxing? You're a very avid boxer, you're saying? Used to be. Used to be, used to be. Yeah, what about boxing <laughs> as a sport for, I guess, discipline and and things like that? Probably growing up as a kid, like, you know, um, you know, in my teenage years, it was it was probably something that was important to me, like um, certainly kept me on the right track, um, gave me a focus. Discipline, very important, of course, um, you know, particularly in boxing because there's no one else to blame apart from yourself. So um, it does teach you that stoicism and reliance on, on yourself and um, competition as well. I enjoyed that. So um, certainly it's a good sport, but, um, you know, cautionary tale, um, may be bad to get punched in the face and head repeatedly for many years. Listen. <laughs> well, no, yeah, we're not saying that all boxing is going to give you a brain tumor, but um, but so when you got <laughs> once you got through what once you got through all that, um, oh yeah, I suppose yeah. Just let's fast forward. Uh, the brain tumor would say two thousand and nine. Oh nine, yeah, which is which was at the end of your mining engineering study. You'd know yeah, that. yeah, finished um, end of 08, yeah, so yeah. it was a year after that. So before you, I'm not sure if it ch getting the brain tumor changed your goals or not, but coming out of the School of Mines, what was your goal at that time? What did you have in your head that you were going to do with the mining industry? I mean, I think when, when we go back to, to mining school, you know, and, and we look at our studies and, you know, you've obviously done it, you know, I think the conversation with your peers is what do you want to do? right now there's a couple of schools of thought here some people go for those those big jobs with the big companies where they're you know big money straight off and people like that stability there's nothing wrong with that okay if people want that um but i think if you ask most people what do you want to be which is different to what do you want to do um i think they turn around and say i want to be an md of a mining company now maybe that changes throughout their career but i certainly think when we was at uni that is one thing that people would say so I always thought to myself, yeah, you know, I think I think one day, you know, maybe we'd like to do that. Maybe we'd like to look at that. It's always nice to be running something and um, and having a go. Um, so when I came out of school, uh, you know, I did the normal flying, flying out bit for a while. Um, then I worked in consulting. But what I did, I made the point of saying to myself, you need mentors, yeah? So this would be a recommendation that I would give to people coming out of uni. Um, 
or just as they're coming out of uni, find some mentors. So I found four or five people that I liked in the industry. Um, you know, some guys pretty, very senior people. I just phone them up. Just go, uh, you don't know me, but can we catch up? And um, those people gave me a lot of guidance, a lot of guidance and support, you know. Um, and I always listened to what they had to say. Who um, were they? There's a few, I'm not going to say their names on here, but uh, um, there's a couple of well-known people in there. So um, it was very, very good. Now, the one thing they never did for me, they never did me any favours, and I never got one job for any of those people, which is deliberate, right? That's deliberate. You know, I've got to create that. But having that support and, um, and showing you maybe a, a pathway forward um, or maybe showing you that that's not the pathway that you want to do um, was really useful to me. So then it was just a case of um, using that and, uh, you know, working in consulting was, was good. It exposed you to a lot of, uh, I guess, a lot of different projects and a lot of different people. Um, and then it just sort of rolled on from there, you know. So when you're catching up with these mentors, as you said, you're not getting jobs out of it. No. What it, what's the I guess what's the process? Is it a very natural sit back, chew the fat? What's your I gather that's not a bloody you don't go through dot points of questions and shit you've prepared. It's um what give us an example of what one of the meetings looked like with these high profile people. Were you talking to them or were they talking to you? I think it has to be natural. So I would maybe go to them with um a point to discuss. So maybe it was an announcement they'd put out with their company. Maybe it was something they were doing in their business. Maybe their share price had gone up 30%. Maybe it had dropped 30%. It was a question. It was one question, typically. You know, what do you reckon? You know, and we'd discuss that. And, you know, that just gives you sort of the insight. Yeah, that's that's the TikTok, right? You see behind the curtain. So you were, you were using those sessions to look at what made them tick, in a, in a way. And how they handled these things. Mm. You know, and what it made them feel. Because that's a really important thing, right? And none of these people ever did it for money, and they still don't do it for money. No, never for money. What did they do it for? I'm sure it was different between all of them. Yeah, I couldn't say it was one thing. But it always fundamentally comes down to proving somebody or something wrong. Mm. That's it. Whether that be something when they was growing up, Somebody told them this, they weren't going to be that. I don't know, um, prove something to, you know, I don't know, an old relationship, an old business partner, I don't know. But it was always seemed to be something like that that was driving them. And that's what I'm saying. They turned that negative to a positive. It made them more stoic. So I always saw that. That was That's one thread. And one of them do it because they genuinely love it. You know, and a couple of those people are, you know, School of Mines graduates and alumni as well. So, you know, there's the, the love of the industry, the love of the school on top, which is great. Some are not, but it was never purely for money. So I always learned that. And I think in our industry, it's all about money, 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 right? I mean, we are, it is just, I mean, I suppose every industry is, but I think particularly mining because it's always big money. You know, so we're always around that. We're always used to that. You know, we talk about 100 million, 200 million, billion dollars like it's that. Like it's nothing. Like it's nothing because we're just used to it. So, and you can get lost in that um, verbiage and you can get lost in that discussion. So it's about, I guess, positioning yourself and understanding what it actually means, you know, the relativity of that. Um, and I think that, you know, all those guys, the one thing I, I realise is that they all had passion. Where that came from and why, as I say, different for everyone. But it was passion for doing it for a reason and it was never money. Did your, cool. did your reasons for wanting to become an MD change after talking to these people or vary? So, seeing what they wanted to do it for? For me, it was never money either. Because as I said, I already already felt that I sort of won, like coming to Australia, and you know Australia is a great country where you can have opportunity like at all levels. You know, I mean, you can't have that in the UK. You know, there's not really apprenticeships like there is here, and there's not really industry like there is here. So, you know, in Australia, if you don't want to go down that technical road or you don't want to go down the the professional road, there's other options, right? And you can still live a great life, fantastic. So, I think that, you know. I never, I wanted to do it because I was proud of the School of Mines, you know, like that's really a part of me and I'm involved with the Wasm alumni as well. 
um, now. So um, plug to them. And, uh, um, you know, so there is the, the wanting to sort of give back and sort of build the reputation of, of where you're from and demonstrate that, you know, you're like a, you're a product of that. And the product that comes out of that is correct because it can now do this. But of course I wanted to do it for the sheer fuck offness of it all just to say that's a hardcore job, that's serious. I mean, there's a couple of thousand people in this country that do that job, okay? So to be able to sort of challenge yourself and push yourself um, that far and further, I mean, where does it stop, you know? Um, where does it stop? But I always say to the guys here, swim in deep water. Just make sure you swim in deep water. I've always swum in deep water. I haven't drowned yet. 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 <laughs> everyone's, everyone's share price is fucking drowning as we speak because of well, the uh, current conditions, but they all go up eventually. And what do we think about the current conditions? Oh, oh, oh that, yeah. oh, that, oh, oh, it, it never worries me. I'm a, a, if, if the bloody, if a market's crashing, I'm like, beauty, buy more. That's, uh, I'm a 10-year sort of guy now. Yeah. That's right. I oh, think no, if you oh, doesn't even worry me. The missus is going off ahead because <laughs> she keeps looking at the balance. Yeah, you That's need to. If you uh, sell them, I'm going to delete. Passwords, the, I'm going to delete the Comsec app off the phone. Yeah, delete that. It's pissing me off. <laughs> but that's it, right? And if you're, if you're, um, well, even if you look at it, if you're not selling, you've, you haven't lost or made any money. I'm like, I'm, yeah, because I don't, I don't think um, anything's changed. Uh, <laughs> yeah, critical hasn't lost any assets, as we like. You know, you haven't magically lost no. drill hole information overnight. No, your your company hasn't changed. It's only got better, you know. Like so, um, since we've seen all this all this sell off. But yeah, I mean, look, I think if you're looking at a um, you know a short term horizon, if you're looking at a day or you're looking at five days, mm. it's a disaster. It's a fucking disaster. Yeah. But you know, if you're looking at fundamentals of companies and and you know, as I always say, it's you've got to be doing stuff. You know, we as a business, we always do things. You know, we lots of news flow. We've got money in the bank. We, you know, got two drill campaigns going. You know, we're in lithium, we're in zinc, we're in copper. You know, we're in all the hot commodities. It's great, and we're putting news out to the market, and we're getting good results all the time. That's happening. All right, share prices going down. I mean, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating, but you know when it does rebound, I think for companies that are doing those things and they're active, it will rebound stronger and you'll be top of the heap. So, um, yeah, I hate it. You know, I don't sort of stare at it all day long, but it's and it always, won't be the last time. It won't There's be the last time. There's shitloads more of those coming for you. Yeah, I mean, um, oh dear. <laughs> <laughs> just, just a thought. I'd let you know. But no, it's true, and, and that's exactly right. But if you look at the uh, if you look at the chart, um, you know, it only goes to the right and up over five, ten years, you know, periods, right? So um, I think we look at it that way too. But, uh, you know, it's always nice. I never nice. thought of that it always goes right. Yeah. yeah. What if it goes left? There you go. Well, God, that's, you've got your screen upside down or something. But, Good uh, point. Yeah. But, um, yeah, look, I, I look at it and it's always nice on a Friday um, to have a, had a good week, of course, you know. Um, and it's nice that that week is always supported by um, or a reflection of um, news and things you put out to the market, you know, so it's not just sentiment driven. It's fantastic, you know. If it's sentiment driven, we'll take a bit of sentiment, but, you know, we like to do it on work. So um, that's good, you know. So it'll, it'll rebound. It'll be fine. Um, it's good to be doing the work. It's good to be cashed up. Um, unlucky for those that are raising money at the moment. Very difficult mm. time. Oh, um, God, you couldn't pick any worse time. Very difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, did you think that because you were promoted to MD twenty twenty one, weren't you? When did so you, I came? When in did here, you start CEO of Critical? Uh, June seven last year, 21. 21 um, and then you were promoted to MD pretty shortly after, weren't you? I think it was November um, up to MD. Yeah. Yeah. Was twenty twenty one? Where does that year sit in two thousand and nine? Bigsy catching up with. Um, the movers and shakers getting mentoring for your, I guess your long your journey towards becoming an ND. Where where's twenty twenty one sit? Is that a pretty happy with it? Was it a bit later than you thought? Was it a lot sooner than you thought to be in this position? I mean, I'd had I'd had opportunities before, and I'd always been. I don't want to do it just for the sake of it. It needs to be the right opportunity too. Um, so. You know, it's, uh, I liked Hall's Peak. You know, the company back then pretty much only had Hall's Peak. It had the Oman assets as well. Um, so, but Hall's Peak is what we saw as a, as a good catalyst for the company. Um, so look, when I, when I looked at it, I thought there's a, there's a, a good, um, there's a bit of a blank canvas here. 
and we were like 25 million, 30 million dollar market cap, sitting around that, not bad. You know, a few million bucks in the bank, so we weren't completely brassic. So it wasn't a bad position to be in supportive shareholders, um, you know, supportive uh, major shareholders as well. So, you know, there's a lot of things that ticked the box there, and I thought, okay, well, we can start our drilling in Hall's Peak fairly quickly, and, you know, we needed to make another acquisition, which we did, of course. But, you know, that period, um, that June sort of start period last year, of course, it's the culmination of um, everything you've been aiming to. But in some ways, it actually meant nothing because it had already happened. And you're like, oh, is that it? It had already happened. Yeah. It had already, I'd already manifested it in my head. Yeah. I was prepared for it. I was ready for it. There was no real surprises. There was no real shocks. Um, you know, in the, the day, this isn't a job right it's a it's a lifestyle and you know it's uh you got to see it that way more than just a, a job and turning up and doing work but you don't check click in and click out do you no it's not like that and um you know i don't mind that right i mean i don't have a family so it's you know i've got time um to be able to, com to commit to it but uh yeah it was a culmination of of hard work but of course at the same time you know you sort of wake up in the night and go oh i'm ceo of a public company shit you know you do think that and i did think that in the early days a couple of times and you know it's good that you think that because if you're not a little bit bit scared there's probably something wrong you're probably not taking it seriously enough and a friend of mine um has just recently um moved into this world and he's moving into a ceo position um and he's been asking me a lot of these same questions what did you feel like what was it like you know and i said I can't give you the answer, but I can tell you that you should be feeling a little bit nervous and you should be feeling a little bit scared. But uh, I liken it to um, getting in the boxing ring, you know. You, you, you get ready and, uh, you know, you get in that ring and then everyone steps out. And all of a sudden... It's just you two. Yeah, you sort of... You, you still feel big, but you maybe don't feel quite as big as you did. Yeah. And then as soon as you engage, as soon as that first jab goes... You're back, you're back to how it was. I use a lot of boxing analogies around here. I think everyone's sick of it. And uh, <laughs> you've seen my big um, picture, of course, on my office wall, so, um, but uh, behind my desk. But yeah, like um, I use a lot of boxing analogies because it's something I can relate to and I can relate to that pressure and that anxiety and that intensity um, and also the success and the failure. So, you know, and it's physical, right? And it's on you. So you have to be um, accountable. There's no lack of accountability in that sport and there's no lack of accountability in this sport either. It's the same. It's exactly the same. So, yeah, last year was good. It was a good um, It was a good start. You know, we hit the ground running here um, and obviously we got drilling over in New South Wales at Hall's Peak and, you know, we've seen some fantastic results there and we're still, <coughs> excuse me, still, still drilling over there. So, you know, we made the acquisition of Mavis Lake, of course, towards the end of the year. So, you know, all in all, um, it was a pretty solid start, you know. But so when you rocked up, did you, was the money or you had money raised already or <coughs> was she ready to go or you had to raise for drilling we at, had, um, at Hall's Peak? We had a couple of million bucks in the bank at the time. Um, we had some options to convert as well. So, <coughs> cough. Um, he hasn't got COVID. He's had a I haven't already. got COVID. You've had COVID though. Mm. Cured, of course. Oh, cured as, yeah. I think I bought it in the Perth the other week. Didn't know I had patient it. Patient zero. Yeah, one of patient zeros. But, yeah, uh, did the ring around. Um, yeah, so, no, we had some money in the bank at the time, a couple of million bucks. We had some options to convert as well. So, you know, we had enough to start drilling at Hall's Peak and then we thought, right, we've got to make an acquisition before the end of the year. Um, and that was what it was about. So, you know, basically on four million bucks, we turned the company from $25 million into, you know, $150 million. Um, and of course, in February this year, we've just done a $12.5 million cap raise, which sets us up nicely for drilling in Hall's Peak to continue and over in Canada. So it's nice to be cashed up. It's nice to have work to do. Um, and the team has grown, of course got people over in Canada now so yeah it's really exciting it's nice to see the evolution of the company and it, and it to grow and grow sustainably um, you know and get good results out to the market with now the Mavis Lake acquisition yeah lithium I've heard of it lithium apparently it's going up the Uber driver told me that and Bitcoin well yeah if you told me that today's wrong but yeah, yeah well. Bitcoin <laughs> <laughs> he's uh 
I'm sure you had a lot of uh, minerals to choose from. <coughs> where you gonna? You said you wanted to do an acquisition by the by the end of last year. You did it. You chose lithium. What was the thinking of putting the? That's where the, the ball. Where that's the court you were going to put the ball in with lithium. Mm. In addition to your your base metals projects you currently have, what's the? Was it a clear cut favourite to go down the lithium path? Look, I think when you look at the name of the company, you know, critical resources, it's a nice play on words, right? To the critical mineral space. It's it's good, right? Brilliant. Um, it's almost genius. Oh, it's um, a stroke of. A stroke of. But uh, no, it's great because it gives us that that broader exposure. And as I say, if you're a gold company, you know, you're only investing in gold. I mean, you're quite sort of, you know, narrow in your focus. So for us, Obviously, you have in New South Wales and, you know, all those um, commodities fitting into critical minerals was good. I mean, lithium wasn't necessarily a deliberate choice, but, you know, it's an asset that came up, um, you know, that was somewhat distressed in a joint venture. And, you know, we saw lithium starting to rise. We saw we saw the interest growing and we did the deal just before it exploded, just before. So, you know, it was really, really good that, um, you know, we got in there and picked up for a bit of a song. So... You know, and I think as you look at Ontario in Canada particularly and you look at the lithium space there, I mean, the money that the government is throwing at that state is just unbelievable. They're so supportive of mining. I mean, our permitting um, took 41 days for 5,000 metres of drilling. I mean, it's unheard of, you know. So they're very supportive. You know, we, we like first world jurisdictions. We love Australia. We love Canada. You know, we want to build this lithium hub in Canada. We've got three projects there right now. Obviously, drilling at Mavis Lake, other work going on at the other projects too. So when we look at it that way, um, you know, as a point of entry, it was a pretty good value proposition for what we paid for the asset. Um and for the work we've done so far, it's returned significant value to the company. And, you know, certainly, as I said before, lithium is the catalyst. It's been the catalyst for the, the share price um, rise and the increase in value of the business, of course. Um, but when people look behind that, they see Hall's Peak. They see the scale of that project. They see that potential there. Um, they see what the team here has done, you know, in such a short space of time. So, you know, we're not a, a one-trick pony. I don't want the company to be greenwashed. Let's use that expression. Um, you see that a lot. Um, What's that mean? Like people that are just playing on the whole EV <coughs> rise yeah. and everything. Yeah. yeah, and I mean yeah, exactly right. So if you're just sort of driving, you know, just you're just sort of chasing sentiment because mm. you know sentiment will always give you a kick, right? And it's nice to have it. And you know, um, sentiment's terrible at the moment, but um, you know, generally it's been good in those sectors. Um, so we'll take that too. But you need to do the work. You need to build fundamental value in your assets and they need to get better every day. So I think that lithium was a very, very astute choice for us as a business. Um, we knew it was going to be good. Um, we probably didn't quite understand how good Ontario was as a place to do business. We knew it was good. Um, you know, it passed all the DD checks. Um, people we know are doing business over there. They said it was great. But actually being there and doing the work and, um, you know, has been fantastic and you know, it's a great asset to this company, which is only going to get better. Now, the prolific rise in your share price early this year, wouldn't it be? Yeah, yeah, it was just after. Yeah, your, January, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so like you, you essentially doubled to tripled pretty pretty quickly. It really took off. Um, you can look at announcements and everything, your drill results at Hall's Peak and the Mavis Lake acquisition, but what do you, if you were going to, if someone asked you, like what were the big moments and the big things that you could attribute to why that share price went off its tits, what are they? That was very well put. That's a te it's a technical <laughs> stock market term I'm trying to bring into the industry. Um, Investopedia. Yeah. Um, it's Investorpedia. On Investorpedia. Yeah. There you go. Put it on there. Mm. But um, what is it, right? So, I mean, I think, um, you know, firstly, we started getting the interest when we started drilling at Hall's Peak, okay? That was November last year. First set of results there came out um, January, I think it was. Um, that was about the same time that we completed the Mavis Lake acquisition, just after Christmas. So I think at Christmas time, we closed about 3.6 cents. I think that was about right. Um, and then as soon as we completed the Mavis Lake um, transaction, that was it. It was on. 
I mean, you know, you look at the volume um, in our in our stock. I mean, it's it's phenomenal. Um, just because just from having that lithium <coughs> lithium in your portfolio, I yeah. think there was that there, and people were looking. They're going, oh, you know, drilling at Hall's Peak, and they're seeing all these massive like um, 15, 20, um, 30 percent uh, zinc grades as well, and you know, massive silver hits, and you know, copper intersections. So, you know, people are seeing that too. But I think lithium definitely the catalyst, and what. I think has sort of bolstered us is that we started doing our work straight away. We actually did work on the project while it was still um, before we'd finalised the transaction. Um, just as we signed the um, the term sheet before the deal was complete, um, you know, we had a period of, of due diligence, of course, and and such to finalise. Um, we actually did some work in that period. We did a geophys survey um, over Mavis Lake. Um, had to do it then because when the snow falls, you of course can't do it, right? It doesn't work when there's snow on the ground. So we had two days, two days before the snow fell. So fell. So we did that, and we thought that's a bit of a risk, you know, to do that. But if we don't do it now, we're not doing it till May. So um, we've done that work, and obviously it can take months to interpret that. And we've started to see some outputs from that already. So, you know, that's really exciting. Like that, that I think people saw that. You know, these guys aren't pissing around here. Yeah, they're not just going to buy this asset and go lithium. Yeah, sit back, just watch the share price go up. We aggressively attacked it. So I think that when you look at the work we've done, it's all been value add. Um, we've done it quickly. We've done it efficiently, effectively. We've built the team out. Um, I think it's more than one thing, but. I think, you know, keeping the market updated, you know, we, we like our news flow. Um, none of it's fluff. It's all it's all valuable. It's all valid um, information um, for shareholders to read. And they can build that story, um, you know, as well in their mind. And maybe some people still look at it and go, I don't like it as much as this or whatever. But I feel that with our company, people can make an informed choice. You know, I look at companies that don't don't put news out and, you know, maybe haven't put any announcements out since, I don't know, January or February. And I go, well, shareholders will make up their own mind. And it's generally not going to be good what they come to. So it's important to sort of keep working hard and, and um, you know, efficiently and effectively and, you know, still keep building this story and tell the story. We buy and sell in narrative as people. That's what That's what convinces us to buy anything. The story is important. People need to understand it. People need to see where it's going. It needs to be clear. And I think that's something we've done very well in this business. Um, let's forget the last few days. Um, that's been shit. Buying um, opportunity. For sure. Why not? It's cheaper. It's cheaper than last week. There's a lot of they owned them last week, and if you still own them and they're cheaper now, like, it's a bargain, technically. Well, for sure. I mean, we put an announcement out last week. Um, probably the best announcement that we've ever put out. 18.1 metres um, of spodumene intersected at Mavis Lake. Estimated, uh, visual estimates these, 20% um, spodumene content. Share price goes down 6%. Yeah. Okay, cool. So well, that's looking at about a 1.5% lithium oxide, 1.5 to 2. Something like that. The approximation. I learned about spodumene yesterday, the ins and outs. What did you learn? Well, the maximum, if something is 100% spodumene, the maximum it can get is 7.5% lithium ox contained lithium oxide, essentially. It's not a uh, linear relationship. Mm. Yeah, it sort of levels off, right? Yeah. 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 But... um. Was that like the, I guess, your methodology? As you said, you're very active on the announcement side of things. It comes as a consequence, <coughs> out of consequence, because there's a lot more fucking work to be putting announcements out all the time. They don't type themselves up. But was that a goal that that is how you wanted to run this? You said, right, we're going to put out, you know, free, we're going to keep, keep the shareholders as informed as possible and not leave them in the dark to make up their own mind on hot copper or whatever. Was that, was that, was that was a, always yeah. that? Yeah, it was always you know um, obviously under your continuous disclosure obligations you need to. But if we talk about it just generally, of course you want to keep people informed. And you know I'm very active on social media, um, as a lot of people know. Um, you know I put some of my own thoughts up there as well as stuff that we're doing um, as a company. So yeah, for sure. You know I didn't want I didn't want someone coming to me and asking me what are you doing. 
like and genuinely not really understanding what the company was doing right so um i thought you know we need to develop a clear strategy a clear narrative um we've got the money to do the work do the work efficiently um effectively um as quickly as possible as safely as possible um get those results to market keep going that's what has to happen um and a lot of companies don't do that no mm. so you know we'll never die wondering as a team um and having a couple of good assets uh, under our belts that we're working right now that certainly helps right mm. so we'll recover from these cataclysmic days of the last Cat- uh, cataclysm that's a good, good word, word to be used yeah yeah i yeah. used that in one of my twitter posts did you yeah have you ever watched the you watch listen to rogan and everything they yeah. interviewed that uh oh forget their names they were talking about all the cataclysmic events of uh 10 <clears throat> thousand years ago and 10 million and oh ten thousand years ago i think the i forget their names i'm talking about like you know the media the theories behind all these ancient worlds that no, may have no existed. stock market crashes back then no 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 oh, but who knows they reckon there was these sophisticated worlds in the amazon that may have existed that we don't know about that were destroyed by a cataclysmic event mm, very interesting i'll send you the links meteorites and stuff yeah yeah just but who knows who knows they're very interesting they're um i'll 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 text them i'll text them to you they should have they should have done a youtube video back then Mm. oh but who knows we could be uh we could behind (laughs) we could be behind the times for all we know well it's true right and that's it's a very good point right it's uh, you know like it's all relative it is it's all relative that's what that's what it is that's how i see all of it um but you know for me like in my life as long as i'm trying and you know doing it for the right intention um, yeah, I'm fairly happy. And as long as, you know, the company is doing the same thing and the people that work within the company are acting the right way, I'm happy. You know, when those things aren't happening, maybe Bigsy ain't quite as happy. Well, when so if I randomly went around the office, so you you got, you can put yourself in the shoes of everyone else here. Yeah. Well, I guess you can say this is what you would like them <clears throat> to say because you, you're obviously operating in a way that, you want people to feel and work under you and feel this way. But if I went around and said, what's it like working for Bigsy? What's 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 Bigsy actually like? What do you reckon they'd say? I'd probably say he's terrible. <laughs> no, I could not he's say a terrible that. Bloke. I could not say that. But how do you reckon you're perceived everyone around you? So as you say, the work you put into how you run this team. What do you reckon they uh, I with with everyone, I, I think it's important that, you know, everyone's accountable. Um everybody has to have the right intention you know you can't make people work for you you got to make people want to work for you i'm a big believer in that i learned that many many years ago you've got to make people want to work for you and i think you know to do that you have to show a bit of vulnerability as a leader you also have to show strength they also have to know that you know i'm here supporting them you know i'll give everybody the opportunity to step into meetings with me with you know um, you know, different groups and, you know, I don't know, financing groups and investment banks and funds. Give people the opportunity, the experience, right? Um, people have got to learn somewhere. So, you know, but they know that I'm there helping them. So, you know, I don't know what each one would say. I'm sure it would be, you know, terrible. And you couldn't, <laughs> you couldn't say it on air. But uh, <laughs> well, I'll try my best. Do but, you, uh, um, I guess, do you, well, I guess what's your sort of style? Are you... Do you hand them the hand uh, the people in critical the reins a bit to you know they're they're not just an employer they're a part of it then yeah they're part of it that's a hundred percent it and um, you know everybody here acts that way you know we get a lot of work done um, in this office from you know not a huge amount of people so I think that that demonstrates that um, I'm not a micromanager you know we have one meeting a week on a Monday morning um, at nine thirty that's it um that's the meeting everything else is two minute chats or five minute chats as we pass each other's offices and you know or emails and you know a quick catch up that's how we do things but you know generally i i like to empower people to make decisions um and you know sometimes not all those decisions are going to be right that's okay as well you know as a team we take accountability for that responsibility and we, we all pitch in and help each other. So it's good. That's the way to build a happy team. Um, you can't uh, you can't be standing over people. Um, and I'll certainly never allow that to happen in this company. That's not the way it's done. So, you know, we've both worked underground. We've seen the old school way of doing it. Mm. You know, has it changed? Evolving. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, no, there is Oregon. There is a new... Well, look, I haven't been around long enough, but the... Uh, Yes, I think I feel that the old sometimes the old rip tear bus might be gone heading, heading <clears> on its way out, which used to be cool. All the old school, oh, yeah, I think it's on its way out. Oh, which a lot is of those good. guys are on their way out, right? Yeah, yeah. that's the reason. Yeah, thankfully, for some of them, yeah. But you know, it is changing. Yeah, and it is changing with like you know younger people like us being in senior positions, you know, and obviously like with you as yeah, well, it is a young man's game these days. Isn't it, it is, I you think. know, and yeah. with you as like you know a jumbo op. Obviously, mm. you're the you know, you're well, I'm, one a, of the, I'm a young one for what it used to be. Like, you are, but yeah. but you're there for a reason, right? And it's not because you shit at it. Yeah. And you know that Some makes people you are there because they shit at it. <laughs> <laughs> See, he's already a jumbo. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> but you know, you're one of the leaders of your crew. You know, you got to be, yeah. and, and that's it. So yeah. um, it's no different to uh, um, to me being in this position. You know, you've got to give people the opportunity, and you know, young nippers come through and probably look up to you and go, "I want to be like you when I'm your age." Mm. You go, I'm older than you. I'll tell or them. Or younger than you. I'll tell them, the, uh, <laughs> I'm telling them like, well, these are, this is all the things I've done wrong in my life. Just write these down. Don't do that. There's a good start. What are, have, have you got a favourite out of um, Halls Peak and Mavis Lakes? I thought you were going to say employees. <laughs> they're, they're assets, not employers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, when you start naming your dogs after them or something, that's... Um, that's true. That's but true. but do you have a, you'd have to have a little favourite, wouldn't you? Do you look at them like... No, I'm not attached to them in that way. Yeah. Like technically, I'm I'm attached to them. That that you know, it's good being a technical person. Um, but as I've always said to people that want to step into like corporate, you've almost got to unlearn all your technical skills because you can't make decisions just on that because mm. that's always risk. So if you just make decisions based on that, your commercial skills will suffer. You limit the upside significantly. So you know, I try not to think about them like as technical sort of assets. I try and think of them commercially first and then, you know, we work out how do we do that technical work that fits into that commercial vision, right? Um, do I have a favourite asset? No, I don't think so. I mean I, I love I love Canada. It's nice to be nice to be there and, you know, it's a very supportive mining environment. Fantastic. But equally, um, you know, I look at New South Wales and there's a big evolution there going on um, with a critical mineral strategy which the government's developing. Um, and we're going to be part of that, I'm sure, you know, as the project develops. So, you know, I think um, as long as we keep doing the right things by our projects and um, by our people, you know, it will do the right thing back for the company. So, you know, it's nice not to have a favourite. But uh, What was it like when you, when you acquired Mavis Lakes? Getting that, would you would you can say there? Would you do you class them as your two flagship assets? You'd say different commodities, so you can. I guess you if can you want to say, if you want to say two flagship assets, it'd be Mavis Lake and Halls Peak. For yeah. Sure. So what what was it like getting that extra? Um, I, I assume it'd be exciting in your role when you've got that second project and you just got that second set of drilling anticipation and that second set of potential to really. Hit the mother line. Correct. That'd, be, double that'd be exciting. Flow. Double the news flow. Double yeah. the excitement. And two exciting commodities um, that technically stack up. Uh, two exciting projects that technically stack up as well, right? So, um, yeah, for sure. I mean, when we got to Christmas last year, and I think we are around 3.6 cents, um, you know, I was a bit, oh, really? That's what the market thinks of, of Mavis Lake, you know? Um, we hadn't fully finalised the transaction. It completed on the 5th or 6th of January. So... You know, but I thought we'd be a bit higher, you know, I thought, is that it? And then once uh, once obviously we came back after Christmas and that all finalised, we saw we saw the just the increase in interest in the company. Um forget share price. I mean it was that, right? It was that people were talking about it, people are interested in what we're doing. I just said the volume, like the sheer volume. Volume's like yeah. madness, right? It's really, really good. I mean that's good and bad, right? But um, you know, I think that uh it doesn't matter how good your product is if people don't know about it they can't make a decision on it and you can't expect everybody to want it that's a that's a fallacy as well so um i think as long as you're telling the story as long as you're out there that's what counts um i think that's something that we do well i think everybody in this office does that very well so um certainly exciting times for critical um it's going to be a very exciting next six to 12 months for sure yeah and I look forward to, uh, I guess, documenting the journey. I don't think this will be the last yarn we have, Bigsy. This has been depends fantastic. what the feedback is. What if it's terrible? Oh, I'll, I'll be sure. Hey, you'll be the first person I'll let know. 
you'll just edit it down to no, well, two my, minutes. No, but my theory, my theory is if I start getting negative feedback, I want negative feedback because that means I've got people listening and watching that don't like me. Yeah, well, it's true, right? Because I mean, if you ain't getting positive feedback, they're just from your fans. Yeah, you want you I want, want people to have an opinion. Yeah, and that, and that means you you're, you're reaching new audiences. Once, because you look at all the big celebs, their whole comment line in Instagram is just everyone's just slagging the shit out. <laughs> well, look at Rogan, right? I mean, oh, he was just saying the hammered. other day he he'd, gets habit. He'd acquired was it three million new listeners post his COVID um, scandal inverted yeah. commas. Yeah, um, you know, and they were slagging him off, and he got three million new subscribers. Yeah, fantastic. Win win, win win. Yeah, I'm when's sure. when's he coming on the podcast? Oh, I did. Um, oh, don't you worry. I remember everything. I knew you were excited to come on to here, but I, in your little bridge walk, you did say your dream was to go on the Rogan podcast and not mine. I don't forget. No, I said Rogan. Right. But I didn't say not yours. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's true. <laughs> that's the bit you just added in. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I did say Joe Rogan, yeah, correct. But, yeah, it depends um, how you interpret it. Yeah. But, oh. uh, no, it's good. Um, you know, it's uh, it's good that you're pushing this. I think, you know, it's a really good, valuable resource for people yeah. to get, uh, as you say, get behind, like, the mining industry and, you know, a bit more depth and, you know, all the other media is great that, that we do and, you know, we need to do that obviously to support our announcements and, you know, just uh, um, a bit more visibility, um, you know, and I enjoy doing all that stuff. That's what I like to do. But, you know, I think like these in-depth interviews, this is like the real, this is the real sort of gold, I think, for you, you know. It mm. just uncovers something which, um, you know, those five-minute, you know, catch-ups and chats and interviews don't do. The trick is finding people that are prepared to do it, right? Mm. Well, yeah, because you 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 have to be very vulnerable. Like you talk, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. you got to come on, and um, but I, I just think that's what investors and just people, just people in the mining industry, they need to they need to see not just the the grades of drill holes. It's like who's who's the wigs, the big wigs running these companies, and what what are they all about? And like, and once, and it gives, it just because that's the thing. Unfortunately, MDs and CEOs and everything sometimes just get narrowed um, to a share price. <laughs> like, oh, that's that that MD, that's his share, <coughs> his or her share price, and that's it. So much more to them. So much more in the background of what makes them tick. Yeah, that's, that's right. What I like yarning about. That's the that's the key, and um, you know, I think investors do like that, and I, and I think a lot of them don't even know they like that mm. because they don't associate that person with that you know if it was a sports person or somebody different i don't know um mike tyson bad example boxer of course <laughs> um let's say uh, let's say canelo or someone you know like somebody i don't know muhammad ali right good example yeah people would love to find out more about him right because of the level that he was at and also there was there's a side to him okay people don't associate that with people that do this role because they see that it's a cardboard cutout a lot of the time. And they also maybe, you know, maybe people feel that there isn't room for that. I don't know. We're about to find out. We're about. We're about to find out. We're early on the Bigsy journey. But, you know, so I think that uh, as with everything, people need to be told um, what it is they want to buy. Mm. But what, uh, how's, it, how's today <laughs> been? Because this would be one of your first interviews where you've actually haven't had to just roll. Um, drill hole data and everything off the yeah has it been a bit more relaxing yeah more relaxing obviously yeah. i did me i did me video we walked through for last yeah. christmas you know so yeah yeah that was a good one i liked that and i like that because that's what we're talking about it's seeing something a bit different yeah. um and you know like you've seen that video right yeah. you know when the boat goes under the thing well them cheering is actually dubbed over this is really letting you behind the scenes <laughs> Because they were cheering, <laughs> but they were also saying some uh, very bad swear words. <laughs> <laughs> Yelling out, cool. Oh, they wouldn't have known you're a geezer. No, <laughs> they were just they were just shout they were just shouting out. They were drunk. So uh, <laughs> oh, I was one of those boats. It was yeah. It was uh, you know just a, a little uh, boat with a few people on it. So uh, <laughs> a Christmas party boat. A Christmas party boat. Yeah. So that's when we had to just dub over a bit of the cheering, or just they got out the swearing anyway. So it was quite funny. So I'm not sure if they dubbed it or they just removed the swearing somehow. Well, we did. I did one in funny. the park with um, Andrew Churnside from Labyrinth the other week, and um, 
<laughs> obviously, when we when you park up and set cameras up, what do you know? All the kids come and play right next to you just because of the shit. This looks cool, making yeah, yeah. noise, and you had to give them the old cranky school teacher piss off, go away. <laughs> Didn't say those exact words, but yeah. So no, we're all safe. We're pretty safe, <laughs> safe on the eleventh floor. Either. We're safe up here, but uh, but yeah, no, that's uh, that video and that bit. I mean, people still reference that, right? And yeah. they, they they think that's funny, right? And it's uh, <laughs> it's a bit of comedy, and you know, it's I don't know. That's I think that's that, that's the way it is. No, things don't always go right, you know. It's like when I do that thing and we we're doing the filming, you don't expect someone to do that. No. Nah. But you know, you build it in and you you roll with it and you make it part of it. And you should have released the uncut version. No, there was like really, it was. I mean, you couldn't really hear it, but if you if you tuned in, yeah, yeah, what, that bad. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> friendly, but like joking. I mean, you know, you you work on mine. Uh, well, it's, there's uh, a, there's a, vi- it, you know. a video I watched the other day of an American that had moved to Australia and he couldn't. Um, is struggling to get the concept of the way Australians talk and their use of certain words. Uh, for example, what that w- probably that word that okay. was used on the boat. Um, and he said, like, this is how Australians use that word. And but then he went and used that word, and it sounded so aggressive and offensive because that's it's just the Australian versus American way, and it's so true. Well, yeah, it's a term of endearment here sometimes. Yeah, and um, the way it sounds. Yeah, because the vowels get sounded out more. Like I've still got a London Londonish accent, right? But you know, my vowels make me sound Australian. So if I say Australia, I sound more Australian. Yeah, and it's the same with that word. (laughs) It It smooth. It softens it a lot. Than if I say it in my accent, yeah, of course I would never speak like that. No, never, no, <laughs> not in the corporate world. Not a word that starts with that letter. Uh, I don't even know what word we're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> mate, thanks very much for having me in the office. Thank you, mate. I really, uh, one now. thanks, brother. <laughs> I've, uh, I've been really I didn't even put up a fight. Oh no, oh no, right, you're lucky you didn't because I know you can. <laughs> I've been, as I said, I've been, I was really looking forward to this, and it has lived up to my expectations and beyond. It was fantastic. Thank you very much. Really appreciate it. Thanks, brother. Look at the view, everyone. Say goodbye. Fantastic. (laughs) Thanks, all. Thanks, everyone, for your support. Um, See you soon.